Hello, this is the fourth episode of our 2021 BMJ Sexually Transmitted Infections podcast series. My name is Fabiola Martin and I'm the BMJ STI podcast editor. I'm consultant physician in sexual health medicine and senior research fellow at the School of Public Health at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Today, we will focus on the HPV vaccination uptake, challenges and accomplishments, specifically in Italy and Australia. It is a pleasure to welcome Professor Anna Maria Geretti, Professor Carlo Giaquinto, and Professor Ian Fraser. Hello and welcome everybody. Anna Maria, thank you for joining us today. Before we start, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your scope of work? So I'm an academic uh, clinician, a virologist, and also editor-in-chief of the STI journal. I have a special interest in virology and in uh, STIs, and I'm very, very happy to be here with my acclaimed colleagues and with our listeners to talk about uh, vaccination against HPV. Thank you so much, uh, Anna Maria. And Carlo, Grazie per essere stato con noi oggi. Could you please tell us a little about yourself and your scope of work? Hello, hello everybody. Thank you very much, Fabiola. It's a great pleasure to be here with you all. And I am a professor of pediatrics at the University of Padova. And uh, I've been working with uh, um, pediatric infection disease all my year. I've been also involved in vaccine. And uh, also, I've been working since uh, the beginning of my career on pediatric HIV infection since the 80s. So I've been very much uh, uh, involved in looking at STDs, and uh, that is really especially in adolescents. I'm also running the Penta ID Network and the Penta Foundation, which is a very large global network uh, um, addressing uh, clinical, biological, uh, and social issues around uh, pediatric and adolescent infectious disease. Thank you so much, Carlo. Thank you very much. Hello, Ian. I would appreciate it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and the areas where you are involved with in your work. Fabiola, well, it's nice to have the chance to chat with you. I am by training a clinical immunologist, but have spent most of my life doing research on viruses that have been involved in causing cancer. Uh, back in the 19, early 1990s, I was involved in developing the technology which led to the HPV vaccine becoming available. Along with my colleague, Dr. Janzu, we came up with the technology to make these virus-like particles, which are the base of the vaccine. Since then, I've spent quite a bit of time advocating for widespread use of the vaccine and have done some projects uh, in the near Pacific Islands, particularly in Vanuatu, and with colleagues also in Bhutan to try and develop programs for delivering back the vaccine more widely in countries where resources are limited. Thank you, Ian. I'm sure that you could go on and on and tell us much more about everything you have been doing. Um, and um, thank you again for making time today. We hope to review the challenges and accomplishments of the HPV vaccine rollout, specifically in Italy and in Australia. But I think it would be really useful if, Anna Maria, if you could please provide us with an overview of the HPV vaccines currently available. Sure, I will um, 
be very happy to do so. And uh, perhaps I shall start describing the virus uh, briefly. Uh, HPV is a virus composed of a protein coat called the capsid surrounding a single molecule of double-stranded DNA, which is the virus genetic code. And available um, HPV vaccines are made of viral capsid proteins. These are called L1 proteins, uh, assembled together to resemble empty virus particles without the, the DNA. And they are described, therefore, as uh, virus-like particles, VLP. The vaccines contain capsid proteins, L1 proteins, from specific HPV types. And the first HPV vaccines, uh, Gardasil and uh, Cervarix, which became available in 2006-2007, both contain HPV-16 and HPV-18. These are very important uh, HPV types because they are a major cause of uh, cancer. For example, they cause about 70% of all cases of cancer of the womb in women, cervical cancer. The first uh, Gardasil also contained HPV-6 and HPV-11, which do not cause cancer, but cause most genital warts. In 2014, an updated version of Gardasil was released. This was called Gardasil 9, because contains um, nine HPV types. Uh, so it added, uh, relative to the original Gardasil, five other HPV types, including, for example, um, HPV 45, which is another common cause of uh, cervical cancer. Now, available, as we will discuss, available HPV vaccines um, have been very effective. They are listed as essential medicines for human health. Um, and this is because they are so very effective in preventing HPV infections and therefore preventing the cancers caused by HPV. There are some limitations, um, for example, uh, the high cost of uh, manufacturing these vaccines, the very uh, restrictive perhaps storage and distribution conditions. And also importantly, the fact that the protection they offer is restricted to certain HPV types and, and is therefore not complete, um, especially when we consider uh, from a global perspective, which HPV types cause cancer in uh, different regions. So third generation, if you like, HPV vaccines um, are in preclinical and in clinical development, um, aiming to overcome some of these limitations. So for example, they may explore different ways, different strategies to produce virus-like particles, or perhaps may employ different vaccine platforms, such as adenovirus vectored DNA technology. Um, and, and importantly, research is also aiming to produce a broad spectrum HPV vaccines using parts of the virus that um, are more conserved between the different HPV types. Uh, for example, a smaller uh, protein of the viral capsid called uh, L2. Given the success of mRNA platforms against uh, COVID-19, it will also be interesting to see how the messenger RNA platform um, in the future may perhaps be explored for uh, prophylactic HPV vaccines. Thank you, Anna Maria. Initially, the vaccine was only available to girls, but now the vaccines are also indicated for uh, boys. So why is that? And how um, did this change, you know, in, in the rollout um, evolution, as to say? Well, HPV, as we've discussed already, um, 
it's a virus that can cause serious infections. It can also commonly cause benign infections such as the genital warts, but uh, the vaccination program really aims to prevent infection with uh, dangerous HPV types that can cause cancers. And these are uh, cancers of the cervix in women, but also cancers of the anus in men and in women. HPV accounts for the majority of these cancers. Um, it also causes about half of all cancers of the vulva, vagina, vagina and penis, and also about a fourth of cancers of the mouth and throat. And I'm saying this to highlight the fact that HPV does not only cause cervical cancer in women, but can also affect uh, men. And the important concept is that in order to be effective against this dangerous infections, HPV vaccines must be given before the infections occur. And the optimal window is typically around 12, 13 years of age. Now, as you mentioned, Fabiola, the, the programs did start with women having in mind two concepts, obviously the importance of preventing cancer of the cervix, uh, but also the fact that by immunizing women, uh, girls was understood that uh, by consequence, men will be protected as well. But that concept has evolved and the importance of offering men also direct protection in addition to the indirect protection that may come from vaccinating women in the population. So the, the concept has evolved to appreciate the importance of offering such protection also to, to men. So the programs started, for instance, in the UK, started in girls in 2008, uh, young girls, uh, 12, 13 years of age, with catch-up programs in older uh, age groups. Um, and then in 2019, uh, then the recommendation was extended to also uh, vaccinate boys aged 12 to 13. There are some specific groups um, in whom a vaccination is still considered cost-effective, if you like, considering the um, risk of acquisition and complication. And this is men who have sex with men for whom vaccination is recommended in the UK, for example, up to the age of 45. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Anna Maria, for this very concise overview of these amazing vaccines. And if I now could ask Carlo a few questions. So Carlo, could you please inform us about the success stories of HPV vaccine rollout in Italy so far? So uh, thank you very much. Uh, um, in Italy from 2007 and 2008, uh, uh, HPV vaccination has been given free of charge and, and actively to all girls at uh, 12 uh, years of age. And from uh, 2018, the vaccination has also been proposed free of charge at 12 uh, for, for the boys as well. Uh, in, the, in Italy, we do have a regional health system. The type of vaccine is decided by tender a different, uh, a different regional level. And so we do have uh, uh, some regions who are using Cervarix and some regions who are using uh, Gardasil. But uh, what has been uh, quite of concern is that over time, the vaccination cover has decreased. I think initially it was around uh, um, 70, 72, 73 percent. 
And whereas um, till the, the end of uh, 2018, uh, we saw that there is uh, a, a coverage of around 62% for the first dose and 40% for the full cycle of the vaccination for girls. Uh, then for boys is even worse. But what is really of concern is that we didn't have any real increase and rather than decreasing the coverage over time. And, uh, and we are quite far from the uh, target of uh, optimal coverage, more than 95% as expected in 2017, 2019 for girls and more than 75% for, for boys. So uh, I think there is still uh, a long way to go in order to be able to protect uh, our uh, young population from, uh, uh, from the disease. As, uh, as Anna Maria really mentioned, the different spectrum of, uh, um, of the HPV related disease. Mm. And so what do you think is uh, preventing the increase in uptake? So clearly there has been an interest at the beginning and girls and boys or the parents, is there a consent issue? I'm assuming parents have to be asked to consent and then they get a vaccine. So why, why is it not increasing and is it decreasing? Is, uh, is there a complacency or anti-vaccine feelings? Well, um, I, I think I don't think it's really an anti-vaccine um, issue. Uh, of course, there are some anti-vaccine people which uh, represent, let's say, a strong heel for uh, any type of vaccine, but that is relatively minor. I think there are several reasons. Probably the first one is that um, it is difficult to perceive a vaccination which is given early life for something like cervical cancer or um, you know, anal cancer or throat and uh, um, neck cancer, which can happen quite far away in life. Um, the, there has been, especially at the beginning, some reports of uh, uh, long-term side effect of the HPV vaccination, which then in studies has really um, dismissed this, uh, this uh, these uh, signals and claims, but I think in the in the overall population they remain they remain there. And then uh, adolescents sometimes because they are generally they are very healthy, they don't really think that they should do uh, anything to uh, to prevent a disease which can happen quite far away in life. So uh, I think that what needs to be done is really a campaign, especially targeting the adolescents and uh, explaining them how HPV can very easily uh, be acquired uh, uh, during sex in, in your sexual life and how this infection can really affect uh, your long-term health, but also the health of uh, your partners. But that, you know, it's, it is a message which is not too, too easy to get through, especially in a Catholic country where uh, everything about sex is linked to sin. And, um, and reproductive health, it is something which is not easy to be talked about. Yes, yes, I can see that being a problem. Thank you so much, Carlo. Um, and I'm going to now ask Ian a few questions. So in comparison, Ian, how has the HPV vaccine rollout 
been experienced in Australia since you and your colleagues, so to say, invented the vaccine. It seems to be a success story. And what made it so? Well, look, the vaccine was made available by the federal government in Australia back in 2007. We were one of the first countries to adopt a vaccine programme and the government made a very sensible decision that the vaccine programme should be given free of charge to all girls through schools. And that has been the way since then. Uh, in 2012, the vaccine was offered also to boys, again, through schools. And the uptake is, is between 80 and 90% depending on where you are in the country. There's no discussion about the vaccine anymore. Uh, back at the beginning, there was a bit of discussion about whether the vaccine was a good idea, but now it's just one of the routine vaccines that you get at school. And uh, the uptake is good across most of the communities. The only community that we probably aren't reaching as extensively as we should are recent immigrants into the country. But our, for example, our Aboriginal population have as high vaccine uptake rates as in the major cities. And uh, that has been, I guess, a, a success story. Uh, we have a national vaccine registry, so we have accurate figures about who has been vaccinated and how often and how many people have missed the vaccine. And uh, we also, of course, have the ability to link that now for research purposes to the uh, cervical cancer screening registries. And we can see, of course, a dramatic reduction in uh, HPV-associated cervical changes in the cohort of women that have been immunized and that cohort is of course now extending out to 30 plus year olds right back at the beginning we vaccinated uh, offered the vaccine uh, widely to uh, women between the ages of 18 and 25 through general practice as well as the schools-based program but now most of the vaccine uptake is through the schools program for 12 to 13 year old girls and boys and i guess that the Keeping of the registry has been a very good uh, benchmark of whether we've been successful in the vaccine programme. And of course, genital warts have essentially disappeared amongst younger people in Australia. And it's hard to find, uh, find patients with genital warts now. And cervical ca cancer abnormalities have dropped by the expected 80 to 90%, given that some part of the abnormalities are due to virus types, which are not protected against even by the regardless of nine, which is now the routine vaccine in Australia. This is an unbelievable, you know, fast and uh, rapid improvement of, of health on a, on a broad scale, isn't it? On a, which, which I think is absolutely breathtaking every time I hear the story and, and listen to the numbers. Um, when it comes to cervical cancer, we are, we are expecting it to be eradicated in many countries and hopefully in, in worldwide um, within my lifetime. But has there been a change in the prevalence of other HPV-associated malignancies? I'm sure that my colleagues will be able to answer some of that better than me, but certainly anal cancer is less common now than it was amongst the homosexual male population. Uh, I, that's likely due to vaccination. It's more difficult, of course, to establish definitely that it is. Uh, but we wouldn't really expect to see a reduction in the other major cancer burden in Australia, which is oropharyngeal cancer associated with HPV for another 20 to 30 years, since the majority of the patients present with that disease are over 50 when they develop it. And uh, we are obviously very interested in whether we can reduce the burden of uh, HPV-associated oropharyngeal cancer, because it is actually now the fifth commonest cancer amongst men in Australia, and it's increasing each year. And uh, with the 
increase in HPV-associated cancers. And in one sense, that's good news because it's a much more easily treated cancer than the other oropharyngeal cancers, which are more commonly linked to smoking and alcohol and tend to be rather more uh, resistant to conventional treatment. But nevertheless, it's still a major disease burden that we're having to deal with with an increasing pre prevalence across the country. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you for this. Um, we have come to the end of our podcast, but before we say goodbye, could I ask you uh, to part with one quick message uh, for our listeners when it comes to HPV vaccines? Ian, can I start with you? The message really has to be that we need to get this vaccine into the developing world. We've been doing studies in Vanuatu, in Bhutan, in Papua New Guinea, and they have high prevalences of cervical cancer. If you give them free vaccine, they can deliver it. So the challenge is to get the vaccine there and get it paid for by agencies that will enable the control of cervical cancer on a global basis. Fantastic. And Carlo, uh, one quick message. Uh, I think we should try to give the vaccine earlier, not just to adolescents, but try to get uh, the vaccine in the pediatric population. There's been some data showing that uh, the vaccine is really effective uh, in terms of immunogenicity, of course, uh, even if when it's given in, uh, uh, in children around seven or eight years of age. So I think it might facilitate really the, the uptake of the vaccination being included in the in EPI programs in developing countries. I agree with Ian, that is really a priority. Fantastic. Thank you for this interesting thought. And Anna Maria, last but not least, what would be your quick message? Well, perhaps I could add a message for those who are hesitant about vaccination. And my message would be the HPV vaccines that we have are uh, safe, are uh, very effective. And vaccinating girls and boys will protect them from cancers important cancers um, and also in addition to protect them directly will also protect their future partners. Thank you so much. I thank you all for um, supporting the BMJ podcast with your time and effort and all the information provided and um, I thank our colleagues for the efforts to vaccinate girls and boys against this aggressive virus. So I say goodbye to you three I thank you all for listening and hope you can follow the STIBMJ on Twitter and Facebook. Stay safe, goodbye, and may we all be safe and able to visit each other face-to-face -face again very soon. Mm -hmm.